Before we get started, just wanted to mention that The Ringer, the best website, now has merch. Go to bit.ly.com slash ringer merch where you can find shirts and hoodies. And a portion of the proceeds from each purchase will benefit Charity Water, a nonprofit organization that provides clean and safe drinking water to people in developing nations. Again, go to bit.ly.com slash ringer merch to cop the nicest fits. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch Rhea. My name is Chris Ryan and I am an editor at TheRinger.com. And joining me on the other line, eating Adderall like Tic Tacs, Goo Home! It's Andy Greenwald! Woo! Woo! I almost got too excited. I had to lower my mic levels. That was a good one. <laughs> Little Andy. Yes. Little Boat. Chris, I'm so excited <laughs> to talk to you today. We're, we're having, we're fired up. We, we like things a lot, which always makes for a good podcast. We, we sure. disagree about something. It's 100 yeah. degrees in New York City right now, so I'm ready. We're, we're almost up at triple digits in LA, but it's a dry heat. Andy, goo up home. Gucci Mane put out a record. You want to talk about this little yachty thing, which I'm just, <laughs> it's unsurprising that you adore it. I'm ready. I'm here for you. I'm your friend, and I just want to talk you through it. Uh, and but first, we got to talk about Mr. Robot. Um, I, I thought you wanted to talk about. Been, I just saw Mike D at Russ and Daughters with his mom. Can I talk I saw about your that tweet, for a man? I see you recycling your content. I just wanted to talk about it with you for a minute. I felt like that was a very like weirdly intimate New York moment. It was very sweet. Yeah. So now you feel like you can leave. You you feel like you're you're free. I'm trying to figure out what else I could do. I did a Grub Street diet. I saw Mike D and his mom at Russ and Daughters. It's like that's it. I, I, can't, I honestly Those can't think very... of anything else. <laughs> yeah. Richard Price is nodding sagely at your New York experience. Listen, I contain multitudes. Um, Andy, so last night was episode, technically episode two of Mr. Robot, two even ago, though two it ago. is the, the two, two nights ago. That's right. Um, it's Friday. Um, and, you know, it it feels like it's episode three because the, that first episode yeah, was broken just, up into two just for Just to clarify, like that, the first episode we did that, that aired last week with the intermission um, oh, you know, maybe they are calling it three. I, I'm trying to figure out what they're calling. I think they're calling it three. I think you were right, Chris. I'm sorry. I, I told you they were okay. calling it two. They're calling it three. But the two, quote unquote, two episodes that were the premiere were written as one. It was just one long script. But then they decided. That's, right. So when they said the season has 12 episodes instead of 10, that's because the premiere and the finale are extra long that they're calling two episodes each. Yeah. I mean, like the, the episode three or 2.5 or whatever you want to call it, that was actually it still came up as an hour 25 on my DVR. Yes. I mean, our man, Sam, he wrote some scripts and he's in control <laughs> of the ship this year and they don't mind the extra content. You know, I mean, he goes to the cutting room floor and then he puts the stuff back in the show. By the way, since I've been watching this this season of Mr. Robot, I got to say Suits looks lit this year. Am I wrong? Yeah, about Suits that? is good. It's, it's peaks. It's it's really it's a great time for suits. Suits looks like it turned into Oz. Like I don't. My man is in prison. <laughs> I literally don't know what the show is about. I just know that they've traded like bespoke suits for prison jumpsuits, and I'm like, good use of the name. It's continued branding. I it's like smart. early suits actually. Um, Andy, mm-hmm. I think that it's fair to say that there has been some rumbles out there mm. that that Mr. Robot is is is. Tr- not coming out of the blocks as fast as people were maybe hoping. Yeah. I think, Yeah, first of all, I, I don't know if it's possible to name a second season to a fast and hot burning show that didn't disappoint people in some way in the second season. 
because I, I, somewhere Landry is is very cross with you. In fact, he just murdered a man in a garage. Exactly, but I mean, <laughs> I, I mean that in terms of almost any series, like beloved dramas like Friday Night Lights, shows like The OC stumbled in their second season before refining their footing. I mean, y- you don't. And, and honestly, it's not dissimilar to to bands who have had successful debuts with a second album. You know, you want to please the people who liked what you were doing before, but you also very much want to prove sometimes in a almost like uh, counterintuitive or slate pitchy kind of way that you are capable of doing other things. Big picture here, I really think it's the smart move because the show needed to slow down and sink in. It was very, very fast burning. It went through a lot of plot in season one. Also, you know, as much as we are still very much anchored in Elliot's head, we need the supporting cast to step up and be able to carry storylines on their own. So that's really what a lot of this has been about. But I very much see the opposite argument. I had some issues with this episode myself, but so where, where do you stand on those rumbles? Are you generating rumbles? The no, I'm not. I'm just, I'm just reading the tea leaves, man. That's what I do. And, uh, I love Twitter and I love reading people's reaction to television on it. And that's just what I'm seeing out there. Can you, I personally put on your, sorry to interrupt, but can you put on your, my favorite of your many, you have many alter egos. I think people are only just beginning (laughs) to scratch the surface of it, but your Hollywood stockbroker, where you're just you're just like you know the ticker tapes coming out of the machine and you're seeing who's on who's going up who's crashing like where have I done that before? <laughs> you did it once. Remember you told everyone to buy stock in a certain oh yeah director go long. I'm still I'm still I'm I'm protecting my position in Esmail. Uh, all all of my my early seed money is still there. You Good. know I'm not pulling out. Um, so you're Christian Bale right now. You're air drumming still. You've got <laughs> one right. eye, and you're air drumming to this. Well, well, this, well, this, these rumbles. I'm Barry Pepper in 25th hour, squeezing the stress ball. You can't, <laughs> you can't shake me. Um, the thing is, is that I felt like the second half of the of Wednesday's episode yeah. started to come to life. So mm-hmm. you got, I felt like the the incremental steps that the Craig Robinson and Mamie Gummer plot lines took towards the the river were great. Uh, I love the Angela stuff where she is kind of going further and further down the rabbit mm-hmm. hole and isn't sure mm-hmm. where that leads is good. And I felt like the issue for me largely is that I am not a huge fan of interior monologues, I think. Yeah, um, you may have found the wrong show. And that was largely what the first hour and a half of the show was. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that there were two, like, bravura sequences in the show and there were there were a lot of great details in this episode i mean i think the um the the f society backstory and of the arcade and just the visuals of that were really striking and really cool i loved the last line i liked um which gummer is it is it is it grace this is grace isn't it i'm pretty positive it's grace man i'll look it up you said you said mamie you said aunt mamie i said grace nah dog the tape doesn't lie you just you just, you just swapped up your gummers <laughs> <laughs> that sounds weird. Uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, I, I really yeah, like. I really like that. My beat. bad. I just. I loved actually the scenes with her talking to her 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 Amazon Alexa or whatever it's called. I thought that yes. was, that was very depressing and kind of cool. Um, but the two sequences that the two things that were really really working for me. Um, I can't believe I'm saying this, and I think this 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 is the sort of thing that should make you feel good about holding your position in Esmail Corp 
which is the fact that the the Angela scenes, the Porsche Doubleday Michael Christopher scenes were outstanding. And I look forward to them in every episode now. I think she has dialed into something with this character that is really unique and surprising and compelling. And he's just terrific. I mean, I think I've said this before, but like he was this performance that he's giving on this show was the best thing on that AMC show Rubicon that should have been good and wasn't. Yeah. And he's basically doing right. that performance again on a better stage. That was terrific. I thought the Adderall sequence, the, especially when he was ODing, was just incredible. I thought it was incredible filmmaking. And it's so... The thing that it, it, it was full of the thing that I think the show doesn't get enough credit for, which is its sense of humor. Um, the stairs lighting up like Cubert tiles, things glitching. Yeah, it out. definitely it was it had a it had a um, a vibrancy that that even the first season didn't have. Yes, I, I think for so for as good as those things were, I think one of the trade offs when you have someone you, know, you have basically have an auteur for the whole season. Um, the trade-offs are one he's absolutely making a you know a 12-hour a movie and so the it is a very different show rhythmically um and in terms of the pace of its storytelling so it just it doesn't feel as episodic or as punchy as last year it also means that the choices he's making are a thousand percent committed and so all those theories that we touched on um the other day when we t- you know the people thinking that he's in prison and craig robinson is the warden or all these things I don't want any of that to be true because that interest that doesn't interest me as much as anything else. But because this whole season is shot through Sam's point of view and it's so committed to that, I feel like if he had had a different director come in for this episode and that director had had the tone meeting and he told the director, it's going to look unreal. But by the way, this is all really happening. There may have been more of a tell. Do you know, do you know what I mean? Right. Like, I feel like the guest director yeah, yeah, yeah. subconsciously would have given us a little bit of a helping hand. But Sam isn't doing that, and so we are basically lost in his point of view, which is fine and actually very similar to the show itself. But I very much hope that next week we get some traction that would push us back in the other direction, that he he is not in prison with Leon and that Craig Robinson really is just a guy who talks to his wife and goes to see suboptimal pickup basketball games because I want that to get moving. Right. And doesn't it gets into a van on a hot day and isn't like turn on the air conditioner because his homie is smoking with the windows down. Well, they filmed it in um, March. You know, I feel like that's a little I, bit of a. <laughs> that's tricky. <laughs> just say it. I'm a stickler for details. I liked uh, the 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 sort of three storylines of Grace Gummer, Craig Robinson, and um, and Elliot. How they all were basically very lonely people who were Mm -hmm. turning to a machine. Mm -hmm. Um, Even if in Elliot's case, it's a machine that's inside his head that he is nicknamed Mr. Robot or whatever. Mm -hmm. Grace Gummer going to the Amazon Alexa, Craig Robinson hooked up to this dialysis machine. Our kind of loneliness being somewhat assuaged by the things that we can surround the screens and the the beeps and the boops that we can surround ourselves with Mm -hmm. to make us feel like we're not quite alone. And I thought that the the parallels between those three stories were actually, I was starting to feel like, you know, the theme so far of this early season seems to be that maybe Elliot isn't that crazy. Right. When compared to other, when compared to everybody else, if you look at it in a different way, uh, some of the things that Elliot thinks and some of the thing, the ways that Elliot is are not that insane. Uh, also, this is one of the few episodes or one of the first episodes that really gave us an unadulterated look at what other characters think of Elliot. When Mobley is talking about the, the, what he wants the arcade for, he's like, this guy is a genius. He's the smartest, you know, essentially saying he's the most charismatic hacker in the world. Um, you know, they all have opinions of him that we hadn't really considered because throughout the bulk of their work together in the first season, we only saw Christian Slater interacting with them. 
you know, as the, as the aggressor. But in fact, of course, they saw Elliot doing both sides of it. So that was kind of interesting. But right. I also want to say Rami was on one in this episode. Um, he, you know, he was, he was in Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master in a small part. I feel like <laughs> yeah. he was definitely channeling Joaquin in the scene where he's just going from the window to the wall. He's doing the Ying Yang twin scene in The Master. Um, yeah. When he was and I really, I mean, up. his speech in the in the in the sort of support group is great. That, that you know, they've had a couple yeah. of you you guys need to. It, they've had a couple of Matrix speeches in the show, and this was by far the most unhinged, convinced, convincing, and idiosyncratic one. I agree. All of that being said, I could have done without him pawing through his own vomit to pick up pills to swallow them again. That's just me. You know, maybe that's just me as a viewer saying that. Maybe other people were into that. Um, See, to me, that's actually that that is the quintessential New York day. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Well, that's what happens if you don't turn on the air conditioning when it's that hot. Unfortunately, (laughs) you know, milk milk was a poor choice. Um, Yeah, it's I I am. I mean, the argument I'm I'm sort of making uh, goes against a lot of what I think about TV. So I want to preface it by saying it, but I do feel that we are not getting the same episodic show that we got last year. I think this is, these are, these are essentially the thing that I often rail against that, that seasons of a show are, are novels and the episodes are just chapters. You know what I mean? But because of the nature of how they filmed this, which was that, you know, they block shot it. So they did not shoot these scenes in any order. They shot them on location. So on any given day, they, if they were at the basketball court, they could have been shooting scenes from episodes one, two, six and nine or whatever. Um, right, and the fact that Sam is is direct is conducting the whole thing like an orchestra. It it, it does feel different. Um, so, for as much as I want to say that this was not one of my favorite episodes, it contained some of my favorite things. Um, but you know, it's a different momentum. Is the other thing, the thing about the first season. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons people really really liked it at the beginning and then loved it at the end was because the show made a promise and delivered on the promise. The show said we are going to do this hack in episode one. And they did the damn hack in episode 10. That gives a structure and, to a season that a lot of shows don't. And this season, we don't know what they're doing. And that makes us, like, like we're in the backseat of a car, and it feels like it's a long drive because no one's told us how long, how, where we're going. And I watched this, actually. I, you know, I think that there's a, this show is coming out into a slightly different world, too. I watched this episode last night. Like, I started it after the Trump speech. So there's a degree yeah. to which some of the things that it was playing around with last year don't seem so crazy this year um yeah. and to uh, it also i think that this show because the first two episodes or the first three episodes however you want to say it are inside uh, so largely set inside of elliot's head that some of the things that we probably want which is a little bit more clarity on okay so there's no more personal debt what happened to the treasury what happened to mm-hmm. the president like what like, we're getting signals about those things but we don't have like a real lay of the land moment nobody has sat down and said like ever since that night here's everything that's going on that's a good point and i and i wonder if um you know a lot of the appeal of the first season came from that that the friction between implausibility and whoa that chill of fear that maybe it's more plausible than we realize and i think you're making a good point that it is emerging into a different landscape where I pre and I think it's poised to succeed in the landscape because of that sense of humor and absurdity that, that I mentioned earlier, you know, the fact that Jack Lou was on the show. I mean, actor playing Jack secretary of the treasury, Jack Lou was on the show with, with literally with egg on his face. The fact that, um, Philip Price keeps talking about the semi Fredo, you know, the, the, yeah. the, 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 the sort of grand 
theatricality of these villains and the sense of glee they're having. I mean, to, to watch it, and I, and I also was a night behind because I was flying back from L.A., so I watched it last night, too, just like you did, after a nominating speech that, you know, Paul Verhoeven on the set of Starship Troopers would have been like, it's a little on the nose. <laughs> Did take it down a notch. <laughs> so, so to go from that, you almost want to, you know, I almost want Robot to have pushed the gas even further. Um, right. And you know, someone else, someone, I don't know if you brought this up or, or, or it was a different conversation I was having, um, wondering if the show will somehow be lessened. Uh, you know, I think this was our friend Sarah Lewin who, who said this to me the other night. Um, who is a super fan of the show it, that I think she was wondering if it would lose some of its efficacy because the show is now stuck in 2015 because of its desire right. to be, you know, in its moment and allow time to pass at a normal rate. I, I think it's entirely possible. It's a, you know, it's a casualty. This often happens with movies I find. And I think it's been more and more pronounced recently where a film will come out. And I, I was, I think we were actually talking about this a little bit, um, I've seen this mentioned with vice principals a couple of times where it's like, this is just a weird, like it feels a little bit weird. The dynamics of this show within a way that they might not have in 2010 Mm -hmm. necessarily. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just because um, not because those problems didn't exist in 2010, but I don't think that they were in the forefront of American imagination then. Uh, And so it's a little bit, I think, I think Mr. Robot has the same issues where you almost wish they could be shooting and, shooting these in a week and making them in the world that they're in rather than I, the mar- in March. I also do feel that the general vibe of the country right now in July, late July 2016, as opposed to even September 2015, is not fear that our, the structures we depend on are vulnerable to attack from outside, but that they're incredibly vulnerable to attack from within. Um, yeah. You know, that the things we took for granted that F Society gleefully tore down suddenly feel much more unstable without so much as a, a kernel panic or whatever being placed inside of them. So that's sort of a weird, it's a weird feeling. I mean, a couple people, I've spoken to a couple people in different, different levels of engagement, different levels of fandom of this show or of media in general in different age groups. And, and, and a bunch of them across those groups have said they struggled with the season premiere just because they were kind of in a funky headspace. Like they just kind of weren't ready to go on that yeah. trip, which is interesting yeah. and, 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 and specific and certainly not something you can plan for in the moment. So we'll, we'll keep our eye obviously on robot and keep talking about it uh, over the next couple of weeks. And we'll obviously probably be back on Monday to talk about night of, and um, maybe we'll do a preacher catch up. Maybe we can do some some further Stranger Things discussion. But right now, let's take a quick break and come back, and we'll talk about uh, some really incredible rap music that got released this week. Hey, guys, I just want to tell you a little bit about this new app, Texture, that I've been checking out. Thanks to pizza, we are all binge eating. And thanks to Netflix, we're all binge watching. But now, with Texture, you can start binge reading. Trust me, this is going to be a thing. When it comes to magazines, you know what you like. And with Texture, you can get all the magazines you want in one super convenient place. Texture has completely reimagined magazines, giving you the articles and stories you really want all in one place, plus interactive features, videos, and recommendations just for you. Now, I like just I couldn't believe that this thing actually existed. Part of like I think that I miss being able to go to a magazine stand. I mean, you can still do it, but you know, I miss the the sort of tactile uh, experience of going to a magazine stand and picking out a bunch of different ones. I don't always want to have to look, remember URLs for places, or maybe I'm not, I don't know if I'm in the mood to read Bon Appetit or go to the New Yorker or go to GQ or whatever. 
This way, with Texture, you can just kind of flip through and be like, you're at the magazine stand. It's fantastic. Texture is an app that lets you tap into the world's most popular magazines anytime, anywhere, using your smartphone or tablet. And you can just breeze through hundreds of your favorite titles, including back issues, and pick the articles that interest you the most. I've been favoriting stuff and just like reading at night before I go to sleep. Texture has made it easy to find articles that you care about, so you don't just wind up reading The New Yorker and The Atlantic. The Texture editorial team recommends content for you every day. Plus, you can dive deeper with personalized co collections. Sign up for Texture right now and gain insider access to all the content from the world's best publications. The best part? Texture is offering our listeners a free trial right now when you go to texture.com watch. You'll gain immediate entry to all the top magazines, including back issues and bonus video content. You can start binge reading for free right now when you go to texture.com slash watch that's texture.com slash watch also want to tell you guys about SeatGeek. Buying tickets online for sports and concert has been a confounding and confusing process for a long time. It's always been hard to find the best deal for that game or show you want to go to, and none of those older ticket sites want to change that. But SeatGeek is different. They've come along and created an amazing app and website that makes it easier than ever for fans to buy and sell tickets. I have been looking for tickets for Ryan Adams at the Greek. I've been looking for a number of Dodger Stadium-related events this summer, including Guns N' Roses and Beyonce and the Phillies are coming to town. You just want to just, all you have to do is pick up SeatGeek. You got it on your phone. It's the first place I go to look for tickets to a game or a concert. I just used it the other day. With SeatGeek, you'll never have to waste time checking prices on other ticket sites because SeatGeek does that for you by pulling in all tickets available on other sites into one place. Saves you time. You never miss a deal. And SeatGeek wants to help you get the most bang for your buck. That's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. You'll immediately see the underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals that fit your budget. Best of all, listeners of The Watch get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and add a, and hit click add a promo code and enter promo code WATCH. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code WATCH today. Panda, panda. Oh, we're past panda, my friend. Woo! Way past panda. Um, a couple weeks ago, you uh, had a... I don't know what you were doing, but we, we did the podcast. You <laughs> called in for 15 minutes. And then I talked with Sean Fennessy and John Caramonica a bunch about some of the rap, some rap that was out. And we talked a lot about this designer XL, XXL magazine freestyle that had come out um, where it was this Timmy Turner freestyle where he, yep. he just sort of... to paraphrase john throat saying this incredible somber funereal uh like him yes. and uh there had been rumors and like he had been in the studio with mike dean and he was going to put it out as a song and that like kind of got delayed and delayed and then last night or two days ago because it was yesterday yeah finally came out um and you have been texting me pretty much ever since then being like rap music is awesome so i want to give you the floor here to just I mean, Pray I, at the altar of Timmy Turner. I, yeah, I want to say, I think this is one of those years suddenly where rap music is so vibrant, so thrilling, so elastic, and so full of possibilities that it's just like, it's a joy. It's just a joy to be getting hit with these different sounds and different ideas on this, like on a regular basis like this. And we're going to talk about more things. But specifically, I think this designer song is the strangest, most haunting, most compelling song I've heard this year. I have not listened to anything else today. Okay, but I, I listened to some Gucci just before recording. But other than that, I listened to I listened to Timmy Turner like 20, 25 times today. I don't know any of the words that he says in this song. It, to me, sounds like the lost collaboration between Lead Belly and Gravediggers. It's like, it's like <laughs> the thing about Robert Johnson meeting the devil, 
but then the then recording with the devil like i i play this to our our old old friend matt and he just basically asked me he just wrote me a text back saying was this in the alan lomax archives it is such like a it, 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 the song comes from such an intense dark place and it's deeply melodic and you mentioned mike dean like it, the key change and the beat change at the end um but just that there's this amazing specificity to it there's this mournful specificity to it and maybe it's because rap songs generally don't just have people's names as the title and i, I assume he just picked the name because it sounded good in his weird style of rap singing it's a rugrats but, character right what's that isn't it tate Tammy Turner isn't a Rugrats character. Oh, fairly, odd fairly odd parents, right? That's really a Nickelodeon thing. show. Yeah. Yes. Wow, that I am older than <laughs> the sun. Like that is just yeah. bizarre to me. But fine, even better that I don't understand it. You know what I mean? There, there's something we were talking about the, the the spectacle that was on TV last night, which shook me up. Like it shook a lot of people up, I think. Um, and this song made a lot of sense to my ears today. I, I just think it's astonishing, and it's. Even more astonishing because, you know, I think a lot of people know this, but this kid designer is like a teenager who recorded Panda at home on his laptop, aping future, basically, talking about bras in Atlanta, having never been to Atlanta. I don't think, know if he's even left the tri-state. Gets signed by Kanye. That song goes to number one. They released a mixtape a couple of weeks ago called New English that is pretty terrible. But yeah. every time he's on something, <laughs> and I mean on a song, yeah. not on drugs, although maybe he is... Uh, he, there's something interesting there like on that on the posse cut champions his ad-libs are the most interesting thing about it and i don't know i don't know it's amazing to watch did he stumble into something here or is he secretly comes some kind of savant genius but this is my song the thing so that far. john and me and sean were ta- trying to figure out is basically like did did good music do this to him or did he do this to good music right and is he someone who is just inc- benefiting from kanye and pushes guidance or is he someone who is bringing something really fresh to that i have to i'm gonna just throw the devil's advocate thing out that i no beat short of grinding really could have like met my expectations for what timmy turner was gonna sound like so i enjoy the mike dean it's a good track but i feel like it's almost there's just too much music over designer like i would have loved it if it was just like a bass line or just a beat or whatever but it's still a really good track that 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 being said um another person that is making you very excited and that <clears> is making me very i'm fine with it i'm, I'm okay i'm good is lil yachty yes. who had who was one of the first people we actually wrote about on the ringer this when we launched is victor luckerson wrote a great piece about um a yachty song called running right I, that I think, uh yeah. sampled a uh old nintendo video game like music clip and turned it into a track and victor's piece is all about nostalgia and the way we interface with our memories and with our childhoods but this uh you know since then yadi has kind of taken a little bit of a leap and he obviously got the the apple music um anointment and zane lowe has been tweeting about him for days now and he just put out summer songs too uh the other day and this dude is really all of a sudden like everywhere in our faces. I know that you just you you kind of happened upon his stuff and just are you were really blown away. Yeah, I mean, I here, here's here's the secret. If the song is about summer or being a teen or teenagers, like eighty percent, I'm gonna love it. Eighty, like I just I like that kind of specificity in pop music. I think the best pop music is very often about those intersection of those two subjects. I still remember the day that um, Katy Perry's Teenage Dream 
leaked or, or debuted on the radio and i was yeah, nowhere I near that. a computer and you like that came on the other day at like the place where we get lunch and i think like four of us were like damn this song is really good i i was i was shopping with my wife and you called me and i this even if this isn't true i feel like you you marvin buried me i feel like you held your phone <laughs> yeah. up to some sort of I feel speaker like I, yeah you gotta remember that that when that song came out we're like you were people were like damn katie perry solved the the rubik's cube of pop music you yes. know it, it, that that is essentially a perfect pop song and it came out at the exact right time and so to hear this record and have it just be so gloriously oddball and sweet and it culminates i mean until timmy turner so basically yesterday i had one song of the year and now i have a different one so you could trust my judgment as you as you may but there's a, a song on this mixtape called king of teens which i can't believe this is his thing and at the same time i can't believe no one else did this first um you know, I, I did a, you know, we, when we talked about um, Blink-182 the other week, we talked a little bit about pop punk and emo and My Chemical Romance, another favorite of mine, old favorite of mine. You know, they, there was the tease that they were going to reform this week. They are not. They're just releasing a, um, a special edition of Black Parade 10th anniversary. And we are still going to pod the shit out of that, by the way. But, um, <laughs> you know, there's a song in there called Teenagers. This idea of a rapper being basically saying, I am the youth, I'm supported by the youth is kind of exhilarating and weirdly surprising that no one has, people don't really, haven't really done that. Like Chief Keef was a teenager, but he's basically a bigger nihilist than, well, I can't think of a famous nihilist. You'll have to help me, but <laughs> Donald Trump, <laughs> right? Exactly. So no, he's not, there's no, there's nothing similar between Keefe and Trump. No, I, Keefe contributes to the world, but, um, the, this song, because what's so crazy about this, he's a teenager, right, from Atlanta, Little Yachty, which, by the way, great name, and his nickname is Little Boat, which is even better. Um, the music behind him is basically like Trop House or like Chill Wave. It's soft rock beats. Yeah. And I find it so summery and exciting. And even though he says some pretty terrible things, there's a metaphor about a plunger on the first track that it's a, it's a little disturbing. I, I, it's I just, mean, I've, it's I was surprised. I've been listening to Twenty One Savage this week, so it sounds like Lil Yachty is basically like speaking in Pokemon. I, I it, there's nothing on there that that that, that draw, draw my attention. The thing about Yachty that's interesting. I was chatting a little bit about this with some of our coworkers. Is I remember I'm gonna do like a, a old man name drop right now. Yeah. But when I first moved to New York, one of the first pieces I did as like a music journalist was for Time Out Magazine for Time Out New York, and it was with. James Murphy and Tim Goldsworthy when DFA was just sort yeah. of popping off. And they were so adamant that the problem with American music was that unlike England, it had not had an MDMA revolution. Hmm. And I really do think that Yachty and to some extent McConan, this is not like an original thought, but I just think you're starting to see more and more the long-term recreational use of Molly really affecting music. Because this is not like the way that a lot of people conceive of or maybe even prefer their rap music to sound. It isn't stark. It isn't cold. It isn't, you know, hard. And I, you know, like you and we, we grew up with like singing Ja Rule and Ashanti songs in our 20s. So it's not like we're completely unfamiliar with the idea of pop and or sunshine being in our rap music. But it is interesting to listen to the, this, like you're saying, the chill wave, almost like soundscape style that he employs is quite different than, than 21 Savage or even Gucci Mane. Well, the, the, I agree with you. I think, I think the, the best kind of art in any medium is one that can allow um, the expression or celebration of all emotions. And 
we used to talk we've talked on this podcast before about what for us with being music fans like coming of age in the 90s essentially like finding like-minded people who would listen to pavement and biggie was like a big struggle because it had to be one thing or one or the other all the time and what in some ways i think the most important record of the year is is probably chance's coloring book because his his fluency and his facility with different styles the fact that he can sing with the children's choir on one track and then have thug and yadi on another track and everyone seems okay with that and happy with it and he's so um nimble about jumping between the two styles suggests a, a more i mean it, it suggests a fuller range of expression possible in hip-hop because in the same way that you know you and i love vicious crime novels we also like comedy you know we like a lot of things and I love for as much as, we love to laugh but for as much as we love reading novels by james crumley or whatever we can't read a hundred of them in a row and right well know, the, <laughs> okay he's only written he only wrote eight before he passed away so you're right but i'm just but saying you can like, just keep reading them <laughs> i do i keep reading them over and over I, i'm i'm not doing a good job with analogies at this moment i know what you mean i know but, what you mean but what i mean is it's pretty exciting to me that there is because there used to be this thing where like you know the only real rap was hardcore rap but even the people making like think about this brings us a little bit back to gucci because gucci is out of prison and made this record that has some terrific songs on it and our friend john caramonica did the first interview with him in, in in the times and it's a great profile and in it he is like a man in full right he's like out of prison he's sober now he's, he's eating kale he's eating kale he's hanging out with harmony corrine but he's and he's recording with young thug and he's doing and he's doing sneaker commercials and it is part of this art is part of his life it's not the totality of it and so the fact that there can be this yachty record and 21 savage and which i'm having trouble with i'll be honest with you but the fact that there can be this bright summery youthful <laughs> celebratory pop record and it is just a you know the barest genre slide over from what gucci's doing and there's this sense of collaboration and fun that it, so that all these tracks and the reason we want to talk about them together is because they're all sort of running into each other in my mind and on my Spotify playlist or whatever. It's just it seems like a really vibrant moment in the best. Possible yeah, it's way. a cool moment. And I'm, it's it's way too nice out for me to hate on Yachty. So I'm really glad that he's out. Um, maybe we'll talk a little bit more on Monday about Gucci. Um, but yeah, I'm Yachty. And uh, what, what, what's your track? What's your track on the Gucci record? On the Gucci record? Yeah. Uh, Goo Wop Home with Young with, Thug. With Thug, yeah, that's the best track. That's yeah. the best track. Although Kanye sounds really good on this record. He does. He does. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, I, I think if, if you were waiting at home for us to compliment Kanye in this conversation, you can drink now. Uh, <laughs> All right. Uh, Andy, I will talk to you on Monday. Until then, thanks for listening. I hope you have a great weekend and great job, Baranski! Baranski!